You are listening to Preaching and Teaching on the Man of God Network of Podcasts. This resource combines expositional sermons and lectures from the classroom of Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary to help equip listeners for the work of the ministry. According to the New Testament, baptism is a new covenant command of the Lord Jesus Christ in which a believer is immersed in water in the triune name. As an event, baptism has an element and an action. Water is the element, dipping, submerging is the action. Its importance comes from the fact that it's ordained for followers of Christ by the Lord himself. It's an ordinance from the head of the church. Baptism is also rightly identified as a sacrament of the new covenant. And this aspect of baptism is what I want to teach about this evening. At its simplest level, a sacrament is a sacred thing. It's something God separates out with meaning to become special to his church. And at this level, plainly, baptism is a sacrament because it's not an ordinary dipping in water. It's not a typical bath. It's not the shower that most of us had earlier today. It is not, as 1 Peter 3.21 says, the removal of dirt from the body. God has redefined this washing with special meaning. He has elevated it to be a sacred thing. So baptism is a sacrament. Now have you ever asked yourself the question, why would God add a ceremony for his disciples that plunged them underwater? I mean, it's rather inconvenient. He could have invented any ceremony. Why this one? Well, remember our definition again. God separates out with meaning something ordinary to make it sacred. God takes something we understand and heightens what it portrays into the spiritual realm. So why would God ordain baptism as a sacrament? What meaning does he invest in it to glorify himself and benefit us? Well, there are several biblical answers. And the first one may not be what you're expecting. Why would God ordain plunging in, and thankfully, out of water? First, the Bible tells us one reason is that it pictures salvation through the waters of judgment. All sacraments are visible pictures, even dramas, that portray God's promises. The sacraments are, as you've often heard, God's visible word. What our ears hears that the gospel promises, baptism and the Lord's Supper portray for our other senses. We see God's promise in a symbol form in the sacraments. And so we're led to grow in our belief, not just with our ears, but with our eyes, with our hands, with our nose, with our mouth. So when we see baptism, we should think this pictures life 
through death. Salvation through judgment. Let me illustrate this from Scripture in two Old Testament types and then from the New Testament. In Genesis chapter 7, the story of Noah and the flood, water comes what? As a judgment on the whole earth. Water is there associated with judgment. Water is not in that passage a life-sustaining drink. Rather, it has a very frightening connotation. And Noah and his family in the ark come through the waters to new life. The earth itself is replenished with new life as the floods recede. And all of this is both true history and at the same time, a typical picture of salvation through the waters of judgment. Can you think of some other Old Testament stories that picture the same thing? Let me give you two more. In Exodus 14, the waters of the Red Sea come as what? God's judgment mechanism on Egypt. Israel is saved through the waters. Again, this is true history and the greatest Old Testament picture of salvation. God's glory is manifest in his people's salvation through the waters of judgment. To pass through the waters is to experience the salvation of God. Yet another Old Testament example is Jonah's rescue from the sea. And all three of these real historical pictures make the point that sometimes God's salvation is pictured as surviving water. And this is not us with wild imaginations interpreting these verses this way. Because 1 Peter 3, verses 18 to 21, which I'll read for you in just a moment, tells us that baptism corresponds to these pictures and to one of them in particular. You see, baptism brings us bodily and visibly to the symbolic waters of judgment. Again, not literally, but symbolically and sacramentally. Scripture identifies water with judgment. Think about it. Many of us have a very healthy, even unhealthy, if you're like me, fear of water. Some of you that I have baptized were very afraid to go under the waters. Well, that's a part of nature. Because on your own, you weren't made to survive underwater. And so it should help us to appreciate what's happening in our baptism. We go down into the waters. And then we are saved through them as we are brought out of them. This dramatically portrays God's glorious salvation of us through deserved judgment. Amen. Listen to what Peter writes. I'm just going to read verse 21. 
Baptism, which corresponds to this, he's just referenced Noah's salvation through water by the ark. Baptism, which corresponds to this. In the Greek, the word is the antitype. It's the fulfillment of that Old Testament picture. New covenant baptism is related to Noah's rescue in the ark. Now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Now, the symbol isn't the real thing. The reality, according to Peter, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His coming up to resurrection life is the affecting reality. It was his death, his entering judgment, and his life, his resurrection victory over judgment, that when applied to us by faith, saved us from judgment. Amen. And this is all portrayed in us going under the waters that could kill us if we stayed there. And coming up out of the waters, we are alive. We are saved through the waters of judgment. Well, what else is God saying to us in this sacrament? How else does he define this for us? The answer is that baptism not only shows in a general picture God saving us from, from judgment, but baptism also shows how he saves us. And this is through identification or union with Jesus Christ. So baptism pictures union with Jesus. Baptism means we are united forever to Jesus Christ. There's several ways we know this. First of all, baptism itself means to dip or submerge or immerse. When cloth was dyed, it was baptized, as they said, into colored liquid. When ships sank, they were said to be baptized. They were submerged. So to be baptized is to be placed into, incorporated in, or united to Christ. A second way we know this is the prepositions that are used with baptism. In the Great Commission, baptism is in or into, more literally, the name of the triune God. It pictures the placing of a person into God. There's an identification or union between the person being baptized and the one they are naming. Now, our new brother and sister, they named Jesus Christ. Amen. So they can now be called Christians. They are united to Christ. That's what this pictures. Baptism is the taking of the name of a leader to yourself. It's placing yourself into his service and in loyalty to him. It's a way of obeying the third commandment. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Don't take it up and claim it as your own and wear it lightly. No, baptism says, I deliberately, I sincerely take the Lord as my God and I identify with him. He is my life. I am a disciple of Christ. And so my name is now Christian. 
My identity is found in him. Galatians 3.27 says that as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Amen. Thirdly, there are two texts from 1 Corinthians that illustrate this same point of union with Christ. The first is Israel's baptism into Moses. 1 Corinthians 10.3 says that Israel was baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They were united. They were joined to their leader. They were identified as followers of Moses. They were physically saved because they were united to him and not united to Pharaoh. Everyone united to Pharaoh perished. You see, baptism pictures identification or union. That's why Paul was concerned when he wrote to the Corinthian church. They had divisions based on who they claimed to follow, who they identified with as Christians. Some followed Paul, some followed Peter or Apollos, some were even so wise and holy as to follow Christ. Of course, he's being a little bit sarcastic or ironic in all of this. Paul understood that people should follow those who they were baptized into. So in 1 Corinthians 1.13, he says, were you baptized into the name of Paul? Of course, he knows they weren't. And he's glad that he didn't even baptize many of them. Because they were apparently getting confused between who baptized them and into whose name they were baptized. You see, the administrator of baptism isn't the one you should identify with. You shouldn't say, oh, I'm a follower of Pastor Ron. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Follow Christ. You weren't united with me in the waters of baptism. You were united with Jesus Christ. Who you were baptized into is who you follow. Who you are united to. Who you identify with. You see, the heart of salvation, as it's applied to us, is God joining us to Jesus through faith. Salvation is God putting a person into union with Christ. So the drama of baptism that you just saw enacted pictures the salvation of God as the union of those two individuals with Jesus. Amen. But we can get more specific about this union. Baptism is more than a picture of salvation through the waters of judgment. It tells us that salvation comes by union, not with Moses or Paul, but with Christ. And even more specifically, baptism pictures union with Christ in his what? Death, burial, and resurrection. Amen. You see, the same elements in action in God's wisdom can portray multiple complementary things. And we should understand all of them to gain the most spiritual benefit to ourselves and the most glory to God. The major text demonstrating this truth is, of course, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. Please hear as I read. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know 
that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with a resurrection like his. Here, baptism means union with Christ. If we have been baptized, then our identification with Christ isn't just a bare name, but in the saving events of his death, burial, and resurrection. We are united with Christ in the blessings of his death and resurrection. You see, baptism or immersion is a plain picture of this. Christ died. He was placed in a tomb. And then he arose from that tomb. And in baptism, we are considered dead. We are considered under judgment. We're placed in a watery tomb. And then we rise from it in newness of life. So baptism portrays our union with Christ, not in his birth, not in his miracles, but in his saving death, burial, and resurrection. Amen. Further, baptism ident uh, pictures identification and union with Christ in all of the graces of our salvation. You see, baptism is a visible gospel sermon, and it displays many facets of our salvation. Here are three of them, and I'm just going to mention them. First, the remission of sins. We often use water as a cleansing agent. God knows this, and he uses this, but heightens it into a sacrament by giving it greater meaning. So baptism pictures forgiveness, the removal of our sins. In Mark 1.4, John preached a baptism of repentance, what he called the forgiveness of sins. And according to Matthew 3, verses 6 to 8, Christian baptism is no different. Acts 22.16 says, be baptized, wash away your sins. Now, of course, ultimately, only Christ's blood removes sins. Amen. Not the blood of bulls, not the blood of goats, not even water. But it pictures that, and it reminds us of our washing. The washing of regeneration that we just preached about a few weeks ago. Sins are removed, and baptism portrays that work of Christ. It also pictures regeneration and new life, Colossians 2, 11 and 12. It also pictures ongoing sanctification, what we just read in Romans 6. Because union in Christ in baptism shows that we have died to the power of sin and we are raised to the power of righteousness and so we walk in newness of life we died with him we live with him brothers and sisters when you're fighting against temptation count this to be true Amen. not because it's wishful thinking not because it's positive thinking because it's true <laughs> If you are united to Christ by faith, then in your baptism, what has been pictured is you have died to the mastery of sin. And you now live to righteousness. You have the power to obey God. Amen. The bad news is, 
and I mean that ironically, no more excuses for purposed sin. You don't have to. Amen. You really don't. You can put sin to death because you've died with Christ. And you can make righteousness come to life in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit because you have been raised with him. And all of that's pictured in baptism. Let me give you a, a third thing that baptism displays and then we'll be done. Baptism also displays our saving response to God. You see, baptism symbolizes both God's work, that's what we've been talking about up to now, and our response to that work. In other words, baptism shows that God saves and how God saves and who God saves. It does all of those things. Now, that's frequently denied by some of our some of those aspects are frequently denied by some of our Reformed and some of our Baptist friends. Our Reformed brothers often want to make baptism only a display of God's work. This, of course, fits much better with infant baptism. But that's not only unscriptural, as we'll see in a moment, but it's actually not the understanding of many of the early Reformers. Listen to what, how these older men define baptism. Here's John Calvin. Baptism is the testimony of God's favor toward us. Good. Confirmed by an outward sign. So that's God's work in baptism. With a mutual testifying of our godliness toward him. So God is saying something in baptism. And Calvin says, and we answer God in baptism. Mutuality or two related active parties are involved in the display that is baptism. William Perkins, the great English Puritan preacher, says this. Baptism is a pledge to us. So this is God's part. Baptism is a pledge to us in our weakness of all the graces and mercies of God, especially our union with Christ. Remission of sins and mortification, the putting to death of sin. Secondly, baptism serves as a sign of Christian profession before the world. Amen. The human is active in baptism. God is not the only one acting. Burkhoff, the systematic theologian, says this. Baptism is the promise given to us and accepted by us to strengthen our faith. I hope both of your faith was strengthened and will be strengthened by a remembrance of your baptism. Amen. Because when it's rightly done, there is real grace, there is real meaning, there is real help, and it ought to be looked to, not in place of God, but the means that God is using to give you grace, to strengthen and assure you. So there is mutuality in baptism. There are two parties whose work is displayed in Christian baptism. God's and ours. God and the believer. And of course, if we think about it, that makes sense. 
Since baptism is a covenant transaction between God and an individual. When we hear the gospel, the glories of the new covenant are being proclaimed. When we respond in faith by the power of God, the new covenant is accepted. We enter into covenant with God and we begin to experience its benefits. So it would be very odd if baptism, which pictures new covenant salvation, would only include the actions of one of the parties, not both. It would then proclaim the message, but it would not shout from the pool the resultant success in an individual's life. So we're saying that God is indeed speaking in baptism. We disagree with our Baptist brothers who say baptism is only a believer speaking or making a profession. No, two parties are speaking in every true baptism. God is proclaiming salvation through union with Jesus Christ. And a believer is saying, I accept that. At the same time, we disagree with some of our Reformed brothers who say only God is speaking in baptism. Indeed, God is speaking. But in baptism, a believer is answering God. Yeah. Baptism is symbolic of our compliance with the demands of the gospel. That's why I asked them, have you repented? Are you professing faith? Are you believing? If they answered those questions wrong, we wouldn't immerse them. They're not ready or qualified. But baptism is symbolic of our compliance with the demands of the gospel. It pictures not only the gospel of grace, but that we believe it. <laughs> that we have experienced the salvation that is portrayed. As William Sheriff, a Baptist pastor of Spurgeon's Day put it, baptism exhibits saving benefits. There's God's side. And it represents the believer's participation in those benefits. We agree with Calvin. It is a mutual sign. But pastor, none of those opinions really matter, do they? What does the Bible say about it? Well, let me give you three reasons, of many that could be given, to prove that baptism displays our saving response to the gospel. Then we'll be done. It signifies, baptism signifies, our participation in God's covenant promise through faith. First of all, because baptism is a response to God. Pastor, you just said that it's a response to God, and now you're proving it by saying it's a response to God. That's right, because the Bible directly says that itself. Why do we think baptism portrays a response to God? Because Scripture directly teaches this. 1 Peter 3.21 we read it earlier. You see, in the act of baptism, an appeal is made to God. Now, several years ago, I preached through 1 Peter, more than several years ago now. And you may recall that I said to you the precise meaning of the word there, of appeal, is, is somewhat difficult to know. There's a wide range of meaning. It might mean appeal. It might mean a pledge. It might mean an answer. 
But regardless if it's all of those, or one of those, or any combination, this one thing is clear. In every case, the word means that we are responding to God. Baptism is a response to God. Baptism saves us, not by washing dirt from the body, but by appealing or pledging to God a good conscience. You see, part of the action and therefore meaning of baptism is that it embodies an active spiritual answer to God. In baptism, the Lord of the covenant visibly promises and also in baptism, his people declare their participation and trust in that promise. You see, the covenant is two-sided. So baptism is two-sided. And that's why our baptismal ceremony includes several questions publicly asked of the candidate. They must be shown to be those who make an answer, an appeal, a pledge to God's offered salvation. A second reason that we believe that uh, baptism is a response to God is baptism's association with repentance. For John's baptisms, repentance was a requirement. For Jesus' baptisms, repentance was a requirement. For Christian baptism post the apostles, repentance is a requirement. Matthew 3, 2, repent for the kingdom of God is hand, verse, at hand, verse 6, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. When many Pharisees and Sadducees came for baptism, John denounced them and he refused to baptize them. Why? Because verse 8, they did not bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Baptism is a repenting act, we might even say. John baptized for repentance, verse 11. Christian baptism is the same. We read Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Paul in Acts 22.16 says, Baptism washed away his sins. Not that water did that, but it was the outward sacramental sign that portrayed that the blood of Christ had cleansed him from all sin. Baptism pictures repentance. <coughs> It does not picture non-existent, maybe someday repentance. Otherwise, the Pharisees could have been baptized. Otherwise, the Sadducees shouldn't have been refused. It pictures present, credible repentance. Baptism pictures the possession and benefits of actual repentance. Is that repentance imperfect? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but is it also real and saving? Yes. Yes. Thirdly, and very quickly, baptism is a sign of the moral purification of the heart. Romans 6 declares that baptism signifies walking in newness of life. Colossians 2 says it embodies the removal of the body of the flesh. In other words, spiritual circumcision. A new heart, a new creation, regeneration. Baptism pictures all of those things. That's why everywhere Paul can appeal to those he's writing to, to Christians, on the basis of their baptism. He can argue from their baptism to how they ought to live. Why? 
because he knows if they were rightly baptized, they possess spiritual life. They have the Holy Spirit. They're no longer under the mastery of sin. Baptism makes an outward display of an inward reality. So it signifies actual participation in Christ. And not anything less than that. A living union. Not a maybe someday. Hopefully, if we're faithful, like our covenant parents were, no. No, that's nowhere found in the New Testament. So, let me summarize in one or two sentences. So, baptism is an act of obedience to Christ that makes outward something that is already inwardly or spiritually true. God uses baptism to show us that we are saved. How we are saved. And who is saved. That is the sacramental meaning of baptism. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Preaching and Teaching, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS is a confessional Reformed Baptist seminary which provides affordable online theological education to help the church in its calling to train faithful men for the gospel ministry. To learn more, visit cbtseminary.org.